been wrestling with this idea about our identity and how uh, when we don't understand our identity, we find ourselves trying to grasp for identity in other places. So if we don't understand who we are, who God has made us to be, then we begin looking for that identity elsewhere. And, and I saw this a uh, number of years ago. I've had the chance to coach Little League Baseball for a number of years. And we've got four boys, and all, all the boys have played Little League Baseball, so I've had the chance to, to coach. And uh, it, it's great. I love my kids. Uh, I love baseball. Um, I love my community. I can be sometimes a little bit competitive. And so I thought, man, coaching Little League Baseball sounds perfect, right? Well, then you start coaching, and, and you get involved with the league, and you start playing these games. And, and it's funny how you see different coaches uh, that are really, again, if you don't understand where identity comes from, you begin grasping for identity in all the wrong places. And so, for example, when I started playing these games, there's one coach that we're playing against. This is a guy who actually had, had played professional baseball for a couple of years. Um, he was actually the guy who punched his own teammate. Uh, long story, we won't get into that. And so I'm coaching against this guy, and he is just yelling and berating the other player or the players on his team. In fact, in the middle of an inning, okay, in the middle of an inning, uh, we hit the ball out of the outfield, and his outfielder missed the ball. Now, let me tell you something about Little League Baseball, all right? You put your good players in the infield, you put the players who you're a little bit more concerned out in the outfield so they can learn and kind of grasp how to catch the ball. And so this kid missed the ball. Okay, no, no doubt, this guy in the middle of the game runs out to the outfield, grabs the kid by his arm, drives him back in the dugout and sends somebody else out. In the middle of the game. Gosh. There was, uh, there was another coach that I coached against. And this guy was just very cocky and arrogant. Just the way he interacted, the way he spoke and the way he coached his team. But the sad thing is, when, when things started going bad in the game, if his team was losing, this guy would pout. And he would just throw tantrums. And you're like, seriously, dude. And it was really sad because then you saw his son. Now, his son was a great player. His son, uh, good player, uh, who had the same mannerisms as his dad. So when he's doing good, man, he's on the mound. He's cocky. He's arrogant. He's just... Uh, and then if the kid starts doing bad, if... You start getting some hits on him. He starts walking a few players. You see this dad, this, this child do the same thing that his dad does. He throws tantrums. He starts pouting in the middle of a baseball game. And then it's really sad to see the dad come out and you watch this disappointed interaction between the father and the son. And uh, man, it was just hard to watch. This is where I want us to understand that uh, we have to grasp our identity. Uh, this is the idea that we've talked about, that, that what you do is a reflection of who you are. And if you understand who you are, that affects how you live. And if you don't understand who you are, you begin searching for identity in many foolish places, like Little League Baseball. Like, if that's where you're building your identity, man, you've got some other things to learn in life. So we've been in this series the last couple of weeks here at Restoration Church called The Gospel-Centered Life. And we said, if we're going to look at Christianity, let's come to the core of what Christianity is all about. Let's come back to the foundational element. The one thing that if we don't get this right, then everything else is screwed up. We've got to understand, first and foremost, what the gospel is. And the basic idea of the gospel is this, that you and I, we can never be good enough to earn God's love. 
Like, I don't care how good of a person you are, how, how much you try, all the good things you do, none of us can ever be good enough to earn God's love. But, but God, because of his love for us, he sent Jesus, according to Scripture, to, to live the perfect life, to, to suffer on the cross, and as he's suffering on the cross, to, to take our penalty for our sin upon himself. He takes it upon himself. He pays the price for our sin. He dies and he raises from the grave, granting us the ability to have salvation and freedom and eternal life. And that is the, the basic tenet of Christianity. That is what Christianity is all about. That simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything that we believe, everything that we do as Christians is all flowing out of that message of the gospel. And we've looked at the simplicity of this message the last couple of weeks. We saw how uh, the gospel affects our past, our present, and our future. In our past, we said that our, our standing before God, our, our, our st- what gives us the right to stand before God has nothing to do with our resume. As you think back to your life and you think about, man, all the good things you've done, and maybe more in reality, you think about, man, what about all the times I haven't done what I was supposed to do? Like, we don't stand in front of God based on our resume. We stand in front of God based on what Jesus has done for us in our place. That's the past. We looked at the present. We said, as we come, as we figure out life, and we want change in our life, we want to be a better person, we want to grow, we want to do these things. Listen, that change that we long for doesn't happen from us trying harder. It doesn't happen from us gaining new techniques on how to be a better person. The change that we want in our life comes from us believing deeper the truths of the gospel, of what Jesus has done for us. And we looked at uh, the future tense, how uh, there's this promise from God that we will be saved um, from the very presence of sin. That there's coming a day when God's going to renew this entire earth. He's going to give us a new heaven and new earth. And he's take everything that's broken in this world and redeem it. And that is that I long for in the future. And so we've said this. We said this is the gospel of the past, the present, and the future. Now we're dealing with this idea of our, our gospel identity. What our identity is because of what Jesus has done for us. And one of the things that we're going to look at today is, is when we accept the gospel as a Christian, that we actually become a new creation. And I love this idea of a new creation because it shows that God's not just concerned with what we do. And sometimes we limit that. We think, well, God's just concerned with what... No, listen, God is not just concerned with what you do. He's concerned with who you are. He's concerned with your identity. I would say that God is, is more concerned uh, with who you are more so than what you do. And so we've, we've dealt with this idea how God, because of the gospel, can re-change our identity, can give us a new identity. So last week, we looked at the because of the gospel, that we can be adopted into God's family. That you and I can become a child of God. That we don't view God as a master and we're the slaves that we have to follow. We don't view God as some distant deity somewhere out in the universe who is uncaring about the reality of the daily life that we live. But God is actually our dad. He's our, our father. And man, I don't know about you, but for me, as I had to wrestle with this this last week of God being my dad, God being Abba, Father, man, it just wrecked my soul to know that God isn't just this angry person judging me because of what I've done wrong, but he's actually my dad who loves me, who will fight for me, protect me. It's beautiful. 
Today, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're unfamiliar with your Bible, I encourage you, uh, open up towards the, the middle of your Bible. You'll see uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Luke, and John. That's the second half of the Bible. And if you move forward a couple of books, you're going to see the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And today we're going to look at this gospel identity uh, of that of either an ambassador or a missionary. Now, the reason I'm going to use these two terms is, number one, ambassador is in the text. Uh, And and when we hear the term missionary, oftentimes we have this idea. when, When I say the word missionary, people think this. They think, oh, well, that's somebody who goes to Africa and they, they work in the, with the people in Africa and they raise money and they need our money so they can go and serve someplace throughout the world. And, and while that's true, that's not an accurate, uh, accurate description of what a missionary actually is. That's not a true definition. In fact, I would say that uh, when you carry this idea of an ambassador, that's probably a better description. Uh, that every one of us, we are called to be a missionary wherever God has placed us. And so when we think, man, God has placed all of us here in Yakima, Washington, to recognize that every one of us has been called to be a missionary right here where we are in our city, in our community. You see this consistently throughout Scripture. Uh, John 20, I'm just going to read through these real quick just to show you this idea that we are called to be missionaries or ambassadors. John 20 says, uh, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, God sent Jesus into the world. He says, even so, I am sending you. That we are set into the world. Uh, Acts chapter 1, 8 uh, says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses or ambassadors or missionaries in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are called to be missionaries. And some of us are going to be sent across the world, uh, and some of us are going to be right here in our community. I think that's where most of us are going to be. Now, uh, just as we look at this message, I want to just be honest. Uh, If you've been in church for a while, you're not going to hear anything that you have never heard before. In fact, you're going to hear this idea, we're all missionaries. And if you've been in church a long time, you're going to say, well, I've heard this message uh, again and again and again. And what I want you to do this morning is I want you just to to pause for a second. I want you just to bow your head. Just close your eyes for a second. And I want you to pray this morning. I want you to just prepare your heart. And just think about this. I want you to pray and say, God, God, would you, would you speak to me today? God, as I look at Restoration Church, God, would you shake us out of our day in and our day out? Would you shake us out of the way that things are? Would you shake us into the way that things are supposed to be? God, would, we, would you help us to see the world the way that you see the world? God, would you help us to remove the scales from our eyes that we could see the spiritual battle going around us? God, for those of us that we've been on the sidelines, God, would you put us in the game? Would you help us to understand our identity? Would you give us a conviction of the power of this message, of the gospel, 
that we would represent you well in Yakima and West Valley and East Valley and Sela and Natchez and across the entire Yakima Valley, across the great state of Washington, across the, the, the world, God. God, we need you. God, I need you. God, I pray that you'd open our eyes to the identity that you have given us. Jesus, I ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, here's verse 17. Here's what uh, God would say to us today. He would say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And again, this is something that we've talked about as we've talked about the idea of the gospel and what the gospel means for us. It means that when we become a Christian, when we respond to the gospel message, that we don't just turn a new leaf. We, we, don't, we, don't, no, we aren't just a better version of ourselves. The gospel is not a way for us to have self-improvement. In fact, the gospel says that we are a new creation, that God makes us new. Uh, the old is gone and the new has come. See, before coming to Jesus, uh, when he says the old is gone, refers to our old nature, our old identity. Uh, this is where our, our natural pride, naturally we tend to be selfish. Naturally we tend to be prideful. We tend to boost ourselves up, maybe by tearing others down, to try and say, look, I'm valuable. I'm worthy. We're building our identity on ourselves. And so we have this old nature where this reliance on self. We've got these old sinful habits. We've got these old sinful passions. And to some regard, that has defined us. And then, as the gospel comes, as we understand what Jesus has done for us, Paul just said that we become a new creation. That we can all of a sudden have this ability where instead of looking inward towards ourselves, basing our life on what we do, we can look outward. To Christ and what Christ has done for us. And that those old things, that old nature, literally gets nailed to the cross along with our sin. And we are made new. We become a new creation. A new creation full of life. Full of the ability to give glory to God. This new creation means that we have this new ability to delight in the things of God. We have these, these new purposes, these new desires. Uh, we have these new feelings that are, are fresh and different from anything we've experienced before because of what God has done for us in Jesus. When we become a new creation, we begin to look at the Bible differently. Or maybe we've read the Bible before. But when we become a new creation, it's kind of like this book becomes alive to us. And all these things, we're saying, wow, look at all. This was in there the whole time? But because we become a new creation, they become alive and beautiful to us. When we become a new creation, we begin to, to look around at the beauty of the majesty of the world around us. To look at all that God has done for us. Look at the beauty. And there becomes this, this awe towards God. This worship to God because he's made us new and because we can see. Man, God is present. Look at all that God has done. The things that we've loved in the past... The selfish things, the pride, we begin to detest those things. The sin that we once held on to, now we desire to put those things away. In fact, we even begin to have a, a, a new sort of feeling towards people. Verse 16, the verse before this, uh, Paul says uh, that he once viewed Jesus from a human standpoint. From a human standpoint, we would say, well, Jesus is a, a teacher and he, he, he died 
And that's what Paul said. He, he's a false teacher and he died. But then when God began, uh, when God made him a new creation, he began to say, wow, look Jesus for who he truly is. And when we are a new creation, God begins to give us a different lens from which we view the world. Where you don't view people as, oh yeah, that's that person who did this or that. Begin to say, man, that's the person that God loves. That's the person that God desires to redeem. And it gives us a new lens from which we, a new filter for which we view the people around us. In fact, I would say if, if you've come to church, if you're going to church because you want to be a better person, I guess I would say you've come to the wrong place. Because I don't think God's just concerned with making you a better person. God wants to make you a new person. He wants to make you completely new, uh, uh, which is even better than that. He wants to make you a new creation. We'll begin to say, well, okay, so what does that new creation look like? And, and Paul gives us an answer in the very next verse. He says in verse 17, uh, he, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. And here's how he describes that, verse 18. He says, All this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's the gospel right there. That's a very simple explanation of the gospel, that that Christ uh, in God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And if we would just embrace that message, that simple message, that we've been reconciled to God and God has given us that ministry of reconciliation to the world, if we would embrace that message, I think it would totally change the way that we live. I think it would change the way that we view our workplace, that we view our family, that we view our school, that you view your, your, your neighborhood and your community. It would completely change your perspective if you understand that simple thing of what Jesus is calling us to as given the ministry of reconciliation. We look at this and say, well, why do we have to be reconciled? I mean, the scripture says that God reconciled. Why do we have to be reconciled to God? Simply in Romans chapter 5, and you don't have to turn to Romans chapter 5, it says that we were enemies towards God. That because of our sin, because of our selfishness, because of our pride, because we build our identity on what we do and on trying to make ourselves great, we actually become enemies of God. So Paul says that God reconciled us to him. Because we were enemies, God brought us back into relationship with God. And again, this is all something that God did. We, we didn't do that. We didn't initiate that. I mean, look at the verse. Verse 18, all this is from God. God did the work. God reconciled to us. God reconciled us to him. And here's what I think is crazy about that. Okay, God reconciles us to him. And then he turns around... And he hands to me. Now again, who am I? I'm the person that never sought reconciliation with God. I'm the person who turns my back on God and says, God, I get this is what you say, but I'm going to go do things my way. Okay? I'm the person who continually does that. And so are you. And so God reconciles us to him. And then he turns around and he hands to us the message of reconciliation. That's what verse 18 said. He said, God reconciled us to himself. And then entrusting us the same very message of reconciliation. Do you know how crazy that is? 
Do you know how, how crazy that is that, that we have rejected him, yet he accepts us, and then he gives us this, this message, this very important message. It's kind of, you ever play that game Telephone? You know, if you play it with toddlers, it's really fun. You play the game Telephone where you've got a message, and this is an important message, and you want to get it to someone down there. So you say, pss, 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 here's the message. And that person goes, pss, 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 here's the message. And that person goes, and you finally get it to the, the person you want to hear. Well, in that example, you and I were kind of like those toddlers. We're kind of like those toddlers. We're stubborn. We're rebellious. We think through and we have their own way of wanting to view things the way things should be. Yet God has said, listen, I have this very important message for you. This message that is a message of life and death to the world around you. The message of eternity, of salvation. And he's given us that message. After all the times that we rebel, that we don't listen, that we do our own thing. Isn't it crazy to think that he gave us that message? There's a pastor in L.A. named Erwin McManus. And this is, this is what Erwin McManus would tell us this morning. He said, when God calls you, he doesn't just call you to an institution. When God makes you a Christian, he doesn't just make you a part of, of a church. Actually, God is calling us to be a part of a revolution that carries a life-changing message that is going throughout the world. See, when, when, when Christ calls you, when you are called into a relationship with him, when you become a Christian, you are actually enlisted into an army that is going out and completely changing the world and turning it upside down. We don't just become Christians so we can come to church and sing some great songs and get some good knowledge. No, he sends us out into the world with a message of reconciliation. In Christianity, it's not like there's two types of Christians. We like to view it like there's two types of Christians. There's normal Christians, and we get saved, and then we come to church, and we come, and we listen, and we participate, and we give money. And then there's those other types of Christians, the special ones. They're the ones that go to seminary and get a Bible degree, and they're the ones that go and preach the gospel. They're like me and Jake. This is what we do. No. The Bible would say there's not two types of Christians. There's one type of Christian. And that is all of us. We have this, this ministry of reconciliation. We are called to ministry of proclaiming that message that you can be reconciled to God because of Jesus. Every one of us in here today, that is the calling God has placed on your life. That you are called to the ministry of reconciliation. And Paul continues in verse 20. And here's that word that we talked about this morning. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And God is making his appeal through us. And this is what a new creation looks like. You want to know what it looks like for you and I to be a new creation? Again, here's our identity. That we become ambassadors. Anybody know what an ambassador does? An ambassador goes and lives in a foreign country and represents their king, represents the government, represents the president, whoever it happens to be, right? And so they go and they speak on behalf of their leader. Now, the reality about you and I, Philippians chapter 3 says our citizenship actually belongs in heaven. That our true citizenship is from heaven. And so that means that here on this earth, even here in the United States, in Yakima, Washington, we are foreigners. 
that we truly belong to heaven, and we are foreigners here on this earth. Before we are an American, we are a Christian, and our citizenship belongs to God. And so therefore, God has sent us to wherever we are. For us, it happens to be Yakima, Washington, or Natchez, or West Valley, or the Lower Valley, or wherever you live. You are sent by God as an ambassador to proclaim God's message to the people around you. And here's, here's the message that he gave us. Again, look at verse 20. He says, we are ambassadors. And here's the message. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is our message. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. Be made right with God. Come into a relationship with him. Again, we talk about identity. Talk about our identity. Talk about the church's identity. I don't think that Jesus came to get the most followers on Instagram. I don't think he came to say, I want to have a huge following. I don't think he came to, to build a massive church. In fact, in Luke chapter 14, there's a story where, where Jesus has a large group of people following him. He's like, well, what do I do now? He says, listen, if you don't hate your father, if you don't hate your mother, if you don't hate your life, you cannot follow me. Jesus is trying to say, I want to get rid of the bandwagoners. I want to get rid of the bandwagon. I want ambassadors to understand, hey, you are an ambassador. You are to live as missionaries, as ones that are sent by God, deployed wherever God has placed you to represent him, to carry that message of reconciliation through the gospel at all costs. That is what Jesus is all about. And that is the identity that the gospel gives us. That we would be an ambassador, that we would be a missionary, and that we would take that message of reconciliation, that message of the gospel, to wherever our circle of influence happens to be. Now, there may be some of you that may be called to Africa or some other place, Mexico, wherever it happens to be. But I'm going to guess that most of us, and God's placed us right here in Yakima, Washington. God's placed you in your school. God's placed you in your neighborhood. God's placed you in your workplace. And you know why he's done that? He sent you as an ambassador to proclaim the message of reconciliation. And when we understand this, when we understand our identity, again, we're not searching for identity elsewhere. When we understand our identity, listen, I'm ambassador by God. I'm ambassador sent by God. Man, that leads to a begin a, a perspective shift. When you understand who you are, you are a missionary, an ambassador of God. It, it changes your perspective. See, no longer, no longer for me, no longer am I a, a, a Christian little league coach. I'm not just a Christian little league coach. No longer are we just a Christian uh, engineer. You're not just a Christian uh, barista. You're not just a, a Christian high school student. You're not just a Christian mom. You're not just a Christian teacher. See, for me, I'm not just a, 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 a literally coach who happens to be a Christian. In fact, my identity is that a Christian ambassador. And so I would say that I am a Christian ambassador disguised to the world 
as a little league coach. And your identity, when you begin to understand who God has called you to be, he's called you a missionary. You aren't just a a, a Christian mom. You are a Christian ambassador that God has disguised in the world as a mom. That you aren't just a Christian teacher, but you are a Christian ambassador that God has disguised in the world as a teacher. And you can understand this for what you do, for the places God has placed you, your neighborhood. You're not just a Christian neighbor. You are a Christian ambassador that God has placed and disguised as a neighbor. Again, this is why we have to, first and foremost, understand our identity. Because it's easy for me to say, well, I'm going to base my identity on how I do as a Little League coach. So when the kids fail, I'm going to yell at them. And when the kids miss a ball, I'm going to yank them in and say, you can't, be, you can't represent me anymore. But Christians, that's not what the way God has wired us. He actually says, listen, your identity is that of a missionary as an ambassador. You see how that works out? You see how that changes your perspective. Where I'm not just a Christian, whatever it happens to be. But I'm actually an ambassador by God. Representing him. Disguised to the world and these other things that I do. Now, we hear this idea, we're, we're to be missionaries. We're to share the message of, uh, of the gospel. The question is, well, how do I do that? Because for sometimes, at least for me, I know sometimes that can be intimidating. Like, how do I be a missionary in my community? How do I be an ambassador? How do I view my, my, my school and my workplace and my neighborhood as a missionary field? I think the problem is, I think we can make it overly complicated. It doesn't have to be as complicated as we make it. So, I stole this from another pastor. I'll be honest, I didn't create this myself. Uh, uh, to simplify it for us, I want to I give you this idea on, on how do we live to be an ambassador? How do we be a missionary? And it's the ABC, apostrophe S, ABCs of mission. Okay? And as we begin to process through these ABCs of mission, I want you to think of, of a couple people in your life. I want you to think about your workplace. I want you to think about your family. I want you to think about your school. I want you to think about your neighborhood. Who are two or three people that God has put on your heart that you would love to, for them to realize the depth of God's love for them? As you begin to think about your circle of influence, think about two or three people that God has placed in your path that you would love to see them come to know Jesus. And as we look at these ABCs of mission, I want you to think specifically about this person, those people, and how you can use these for them. So how, how, do, how do we live as a missionary? A, first and foremost, we ask God. We, we pray. Praying is one of the most important things that we can do for people. In fact, uh, John, uh, John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says this. Jesus says, no one can come to the Father unless I've sent. Uh, excuse me. He says, uh, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The only way somebody ever comes to know Christ is if God draws them. And so the first step in us trying to, to be a missionary, to share Christ with somebody, is that we actually be praying for them. We, we, we pray for them. We ask, God, would you draw this person to yourself? There's a, there, there, there's a couple of uh, prayers I want to encourage you to be praying specifically for these people. All of these prayers are, are based on Scripture. I'm going to read through these. There's ten of them. Number one, pray and say, God, 
I pray that you would draw whoever happens to be. I pray that you would draw John to yourself. Praying straight out of John chapter 6. Number two, God, I pray that you would draw Susie to hear and believe the word of God for what it really is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. I'm not going to read these verses. I'm just going to run through them real quick. Number three, God, I pray. I pray that Kathy would seek to know you. Acts 27, 27. Number four, God, I pray, uh, I ask that you would prevent Satan from blinding Jacob to the truth. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Number five, Holy Spirit, I ask you to convict Kevin of his sin and his need for Christ's redemption based out of John chapter 16. Praying according to Scripture. Things that Scripture says, we're praying according to that, that God would draw people. Number seven, God, or excuse me, number six, I got to count. I forgot how to do that. Number six, God, I ask that you would send someone to share the gospel with Joe. Colossians 4, 3 through 6. Take that a step further. Number seven. God, I ask that you give me the opportunity, that you give me courage, that you give me the words to share with Adam. Number eight. God, I pray. I pray that Ben would turn from their sin and follow you. Acts 17, 30 to 31. Praying according to Scripture. Praying that God would draw people to himself. Praying that God would do the heavy lifting. Number nine, God, I pray that Mike would put all their trust in Jesus. John 1, 12. Number 10, God, I pray that Tom would confess Christ as his Lord. Very simply, we're just praying for people. We're praying that this is what God does. And we're praying that God would redeem someone's heart. That God would draw someone to himself. We're asking God to do the heavy lifting. Again, we make mission too difficult. Are you praying for those people? Those three people that you wrote that that you're thinking about, are you actually praying for them? Pray these prayers over them. B, number two, B, ABCs of mission. Build relationships. Build relationships. There was a day and age when uh, Christians were supposed to go out and go door knocking. Remember that day and age? Before my day and age. And you just go cold calling people. Hey, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And that's great. And, and there's people that found the Lord through that. But it, it's almost more effective. I, I would say Teddy Roosevelt said this. And I, I've come back to it time and time again. Teddy Roosevelt said, said, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. You want to have an opportunity to share Christ with someone? Build a relationship with them. Invest in them. Be friends with them. Context, in that context of a relationship, that's when we discover the tangible ways that we can love a person as an expression of God's love for them. In fact, uh, I've shared this before. There's a, a guy by the name of Jeff Eorg, who's the president of the Golden Gate Theological Seminary in San Francisco, if you can imagine that. And he talked about his idea of mission. And he said, you know, I've been in, uh, he was like me and he coached Little League Baseball and he was an umpire in Little League Baseball. And he ended up becoming the chaplain for the San Francisco Giants baseball team. And he said, this is the way I view ministry. And here's a guy who's smarter than I am, who's got degrees and all those wonderful things. And he said, the way I viewed it is I'm supposed to build relationships. So he becomes the chaplain of the San Francisco Giants and his goal isn't to preach the gospel. His goal is to build relationships. 
So he's talking to uh, uh, Buster Posey and all these different players, and he's just building friendships with them. He said, because what happens is when you have a relationship with somebody, you're going to look for these uh, four cues, these four things that happen in people's lives that become an opportunity for you to speak truth to them. Four things are people die, health fails, relationships struggle, things break. Something happens in people's lives. Come on, we, we, we live in a broken world. And when you have a relationship with somebody and things begin to struggle, then you have an opportunity to speak truth to them, to speak life to them. Build relationships. Are you building a relationship with those people that you're so concerned about that they would know Jesus? Number three. Number three is that we would actually have a conviction of our message. I mean, you ever, you ever wonder, like, just how important that message of the gospel is? I think far too many of us, far too few of us, recognize the depth of the gospel. That it is literally a life and death message. Like, if somebody doesn't know Jesus as your Savior, do you understand where they are going to spend eternity? You guys have heard of, of Penn and Teller, the, the uh, famous uh, magicians down in Las Vegas. Penn is a renowned atheist, a guy who is very renowned atheist. And he does this video blog, this video vlog, I think is what they call it, video blog. And, and there was uh, one time where he's telling a story about somebody who came up to him after one of his shows and gave him a Bible. And I know you, you can go and Google Penn Teller and you can spend a lot of time uh, wasting time going down rabbit trails. But there was one video uh, as he's talking about this guy that gave him a Bible that was pretty remarkable. Uh, can you go ahead and show that video? And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. From an atheist to say, listen, if you believe this message about heaven and hell, like how much you have to hate somebody not to have a conviction of that message that you want them to know who Jesus is? Like you've got to have a conviction of, man, this is the truth. This is the truth. A, B, C, and now the S's. I, I say S's because there's two of them. That we would show and share the good news about Jesus. That we would show people uh, that Jesus is the good news by the way that we serve them. By the way that we meet their needs. Just as God is, is gracious and serves us and, and meets our needs. I mean, serving people is such a tangible way for us to express God's love to people. I mean, serving people and just loving them. And saying, man, I see you. Let me just come and, and do something for you to, as, a, as a beacon of God's love. 
That we would forgive somebody as God has forgiven us. That we would cancel someone's debt because God has canceled our debt. That we would uh, uh, come to somebody's rescue because Jesus has come to our rescue. That we would just serve one another. It becomes an opportunity for us to show the love of Jesus. You know what happens when we do these things? You know what happens when we're, we're asking God on behalf of this person? When we're building a relationship? when we're convicted of our message, and we begin to, to show people the love of Christ, what happens is we have the opportunity to share the good news of who Jesus is. Again, people's greatest need is to be reconciled to God, to be forgiven of their sin, to be adopted and become a child of God forever. And what happens is when we do, are doing these things, we have the opportunity to share the good news about Jesus. Let me tell you about my God who loves me, no matter what I've done. Let me tell you about the God who made me his child, who lets me call him dad. Let me tell you about the God who takes the broken things and makes them new. Let me tell you about the God who made me a new creation. ABC and the S's. The ABC's of mission, it's not difficult. I want to close uh, with a quote from none other than William Wallace. The movie Braveheart. Remember the end of that movie where they're getting ready for the big battle. And, 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 and they're, they're outnumbered three to one. Remember the, the, the army is saying, oh, we're outnumbered. Let's, let's run and let's live. Remember Wallace gives that wonderful speech. He says, fight and you may die. Run and you may live. But only for a while. But how many of you laying on your deathbed would not give every day between this one and that one to come back to this battlefield and look at your enemies and say, you may take our lives, but you'll never take our freedom. It's a great line. I can't quote it. I, I can't do it in his authority, but it's a great line. Do you know what happened in that movie? That army, their perspective changed. They stopped looking just at their own little lives. They stopped thinking about, what if I'm rejected? What if they don't like me? What if they kill me? What if they don't want to be my friend anymore? Their perspective shifted. They saw something greater than their own lives. Saw something more important. They had a conviction of what they were doing. A conviction of what they've been called to do. So let me just ask you this morning. Are you on mission? Are you just a part of a church? Or are you part of a revolution? With a message that is turning this world upside down. The message that is changing lives all around us. Are you allowing your life to be used to impact the people around you? Your school, your work, your friends. Does your heart beat for people with the love of God? tell you what, I'm not looking to build a big church. I don't want to be a part of a big church. I want to be part of a revolution. I want to be part of a mission of God changing people right here in the Yakima Valley. As I try and think about how to close, I don't have this great message like William Wallace. I don't have this great speech. But what I can do is I can point us to the gospel. Said, so look at all that Christ gave for us.